Let us pray. Loving God, fountain of every blessing, source of all goodness, open us now to your life-giving word that we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life in Christ Jesus our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forevermore. Amen. Well, for the benefit of those of you who were not here last week, and to jog the memories of those of you who were, I would like to begin this morning with a quick look back at my sermon last Sunday and, and specifically remind you of the titles of the two books I talked about then at great length. They were Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman and Misbehaving by Richard Thaler, titles that really do go to the heart of what each of those books is all about. And they are books that I would hardly recommend to anyone who is interested in why we do the things we do, particularly those things that just never seem to work out quite like we had expected. Well, as you recall, hopefully, for Kahneman, thinking fast refers to those decisions that we make when we don't have much time or information and therefore have to go with what are little more than gut feelings or intuitions, decisions that we make then without really thinking about them. Granted, it's not an ideal way to make a decision, but sometimes it's the only thing we can do. It's the only option we have. On the other hand, thinking slow refers to those decisions we make when we have plenty of time to think about them, plenty of time to gather all the needed information, can calmly review all of our options, and then make an informed decision that is based on actual knowledge rather than just a hunch. Clearly, the better way to make a decision if we have the time. So, the ideal is to think fast when you have to and to think slow when we can. But there's a problem. And the problem is that we tend to think our intuitions our gut feelings, our hunches, are better than they really are. And therefore, we seriously underestimate just how uncertain things in this world can be. And as a result, we think fast when we really don't have to. When in fact, we really shouldn't. When we should be taking the time to think slow. And when we do that, we end up making mistakes, which is to say we make decisions that don't work out and take actions that miss the mark of what we intended. And that is what Thaler calls misbehaving. By which he doesn't mean our not minding our P's and Q's, but rather behavior that doesn't achieve its intended goal. 
behavior that misses the mark and thus is misbehavior. All of which is their way of explaining why things so often don't turn out as we had hoped because we make mistakes. Well, as I mentioned last week, when I first read these two books a number of years ago, I was immediately struck by how similar they sounded to what Paul is talking about in his letter to the church in Rome. For just as Kahneman draws a contrast between thinking fast and thinking slow, and claims that if we think fast too much, we are prone to make mistakes, to misbehaving. In Romans, and particularly in the three chapters that we are reading over these three weeks, Paul draws a contrast between what he calls living according to the flesh and living according to the Spirit. And warns that if we do the former, live according to the flesh, we will find ourselves trapped within the web of what he calls sin. But actually, Paul doesn't use the word sin. Sin is an English word. The actual word that Paul uses, the Greek word, is hamartia which literally means to miss the mark. It's a term that is borrowed from archery, where it just means to miss the target. Now, how we got to the word sin, where that word comes from, I have no idea. And I spent a great deal of time this week trying to track down its etymology. But no one seems to know where it came from. Frankly, a far better translation, and certainly a far more accurate translation for us, would be misbehaving. The word that Thaler uses, and if we use that word here in Romans, then I think we would see even more strongly the connection between Paul and Kahneman and Thaler. But what exactly does Paul mean by living according to the flesh or living according to the spirit? Now for him, those are two fundamentally different ways of approaching life. But even there, we have a problem understanding what Paul is saying. And that's really not surprising. Because we're dealing with words that were written 2,000 years ago and written in another language. In particular, I think we have a problem when Paul uses the word flesh. Because in our minds, that's gotten all tangled up with kinds of associations that we've made with that term over the years to the point that we think what we think when we hear the word flesh and what Paul actually intended are probably two very different things. Which is why I think very often when we read these chapters in Romans, we come away scratching our heads, not really knowing what on earth Paul is talking about. Now, let me just 
test you out. When you hear the word flesh, what do you think? Well, if you're like me, particularly if you're my age or older, when you hear the word flesh, you almost immediately begin thinking about sins of the flesh. A term that has a very long and very lurid history in the Christian tradition. Which is why, for very many Christians, Christians going back as far as St. Augustine, and as recently as my mother, the contrast in Paul between flesh and spirit is the contrast between leading a dissolute lifestyle of indulging in carnal pleasures, especially you-know-what, and a lifestyle of studiously avoiding all such pleasures. And I'm afraid that's what we hear when we hear these words in Romans. Now, whether you, you think that way or not, and clearly that view represents a long tradition in Christianity, a tradition that gave rise to monasticism, to celibacy, and the strict morality of many Protestant sects, most famously the Shakers, which we heard from this morning, by the way, in our prelude. That's not what Paul is talking about here. And it's certainly not what Paul intended when he used the word flesh. By flesh, Paul just means our mortal bodies. And so living according to the flesh for Paul simply means our daily existence and our need for the basic necessities of life, things like food and clothing and shelter. And so when he points out that to set your mind only on the flesh will ultimately lead to death. He's not threatening you. He's not trying to scare you. He's merely stating the obvious. That if this life is all we live for, then one day we're going to die and that's going to be it. Because death is the inevitable end of our mortal bodies, of our flesh of our lives in this world. And because we don't know when or how that might be, living in that vein makes for a very uncertain road to travel. On the other hand, for Paul, if we live according to the Spirit, that is, if we look beyond the mundane concerns of our daily lives to the bigger picture of God's Spirit at work in our world, and if we align ourselves with the life of the Spirit, then we will find a life in the Spirit that, unlike our mortal bodies, will never die. We are bound to Christ by faith. His spirit then dwells within us. And our lives will bear fruit. 
will bear fruit in the gifts of the Spirit, such as love, joy, peace, kindness, and generosity, all fruit that endures. For unlike the flesh, love never ends. Now, of course, to some extent, we have to live according to the flesh because we have to be concerned with finding our daily bread and finding shelter and all of the other basic necessities of life. So you have to live somewhat according to the flesh. The problem is when that's all we live for, if that's all we care about. Because if that's true, then we have put ourselves at the mercy of all of the inherent uncertainties in this life. And at some point, no matter how fortunate we may be, it's all going to end. It's going to end in our death. But if we live according to the Spirit and seek the meaning of our lives in the power of the Spirit through which God is working God's purposes in this world and beyond, then even though our flesh, our mortal bodies may die, will in fact die, we shall live on forever in the Spirit, bound to the risen Lord by faith. Amen. All right, now back to the original question, though. What does all this have to do with thinking fast and slow? How does that terminology relate to Paul's language of living according to the flesh or according to the spirit? Well, just as Kahneman drew a contrast between thinking fast, that is to say making decisions in the heat of the moment, and thinking slow, bringing to bear a longer perspective, so Paul contrast living according to the flesh, concerned only with our daily existence, with living according to the Spirit, that is to say, living with an eye toward God's time and not human time. For both, I think it's fair to say, the basic contrast is between the short term and the long term. And that given the inherent uncertainty of life in the moment in the short term, we would all do well to seek our security in the long term. Which is why for Kahneman and Thaler, just as for Paul, the danger is misbehaving. Making choices and undertaking pursuits that very often end up missing the mark because they're based on an uncertain foundation of decisions that are made in the moment. Decisions made by thinking fast, or as Paul would say, decisions made according to the flesh. And then left wondering where things went wrong. Since so often we are so confident in our assumptions, so sure of our intentions, so certain of our goals. But the fact is, there is precious little certainty to be found in the moment. Now, because Kahneman and Thaler speak in the language of the 21st century and Paul the language of the 1st century, their writings inevitably sound more different to us than I think they really are. 
To our ears, Paul's talk of flesh and spirit may sound especially, even hopelessly, old-fashioned. And no doubt they are coming at this problem from very different directions. One of them that is totally secular, the other totally religious. But that said, I think they both end up in the same place. In fact, I think there's a term that that they would all agree goes to the very crux of the problem that they're addressing. Though to the best of my knowledge, it's a term that none of them ever use, certainly not Paul. It's a term, an interesting term, that I distinctly remember the moment I discovered this term, and I've only seen it used one time, and that was several years ago in a New Yorker article about, of all things, earthquakes. The term is temporal parochialism. Think about that. Temporal parochialism. It refers to the mindset. If there's something that we've never encountered in the course of our own life experience, then we tend to believe it must never have existed in the past and will never exist in the future. In other words, in all of its enormous variety, the world, that great big world out there, must at heart be just like my little world. All this despite the fact that even those of us who have lived a very long time have only lived for what is barely the blink of an eye in terms of the entire course of human history. And human history itself is only the blink of an eye of the world's entire history. What we've seen over the course of our own lives is practically nothing. And yet, for all too many of us, it is the sole measure of reality. Kahneman has a term that he uses for this lack of perspective, this temporal parochialism. And it's just an an acronym. And it is W-Y-S-I-A-T-I. I don't don't even know how you would pretend to pronounce that. And what it means is the belief that what you see is all there is. Meaning... Your view of the world is everything, and there is nothing beyond that. And it goes to the root of why thinking fast is so error-prone. Why we consistently underestimate the degree of uncertainty in the world around us, and why we think we're smarter than we actually are. Just as Paul warns us against living according to the flesh, Building our lives upon a foundation that is so insubstantial, so transient, so ephemeral, as to in fact being here today and gone tomorrow. So the question that remains is where do we find security in such an uncertain world? And what does that security look like? To hear the answer to that. Oh, thank God. <laughs>
you're going to have to come back next week. So. <laughs> Sorry to do that to you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, to whom be all glory and honor now and forevermore.